Praise God. Uh, I'm, I'm learning more and more it's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. And I never want to get to the place where I think I can do it without Him. That our ministry, that our life has got to come out of the overflow to our ability that we're willing to sit at the feet of Jesus and wait. That we are willing to be satisfied to sit at the feet of Jesus and take what He gives us even when it's not what we want. And that's where it gets tricky sometimes, right? Because we have an idea in our mind how it should play out, don't we? <laughs> We've got this perfect picture that we see in our mind of, of how maybe our life was going to plan out or how our job or career or whatever it might be. And what we find out many times is that God's doing something totally different than what we even expected Him to do. Even when we begin to get a word from the Lord, it normally manifests in a time we didn't expect, and it manifests in a way we didn't expect. And sometimes it's like, God, what are you up to? But see, God's got this thing about being God. <laughs> and God likes to do things in such a way where man can't get credit for them but where God can get all the glory whenever he does something. And so we're caught in the middle of this thing. We're caught in the middle of God's will. But God's will is in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, then no matter the circumstances, I'm in God's will. And that's why I love the Psalms. Because King David and the list of others who wrote in the Psalms, they just get that downright real with their feelings. David says things like this, God, kill my enemies! Have you ever read the Psalm and said, man, I don't know if I should even read or pray this. Lord, look at this. It's that God is not absent from the despair and the darkness in your life. But God manifesting himself as a man and entering into the human situation and then going to the cross and experiencing the most vile death one could experience tells us is that there's no place that God is not in and there's no place that God can't redeem. But what happens many times is we hit the eject button before God's finished in our lives. That there's times that we're being stretched. And there's times that we don't finish our psalm. A psalm is a sacred song or hymn. And God says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are His workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship there is poema, where we get the word poem. So you are God's poema, you are God's poem 
in the earth. You are God's sacred song. I feel the anointing in that. Somebody needs to get, somebody just got a hold of that or something because the anointing just come all over me. That you are God's poem. God is crafting your story. And every good story, do you know what every good story has? A little bit of tragedy. See, y'all didn't want to go there with me. Y'all wanted to talk to about the ending, didn't you? Y'all wanted to go to the happy ending. See what I'm saying? But every good story has a little tragedy in it. And we're caught in the middle of sometimes in the poem and in our psalm, we're caught in a tragedy. And we're being stretched. And that's what it must have felt like for Christ because He's the beautiful story. He's the prince that comes to save the bride that's the princess to rescue her from the great dragon, which is Satan. This is something that we've been raised with our entire lives. And instead of Jesus slaying the dragon with a sword, we see Him being stretched. Nails going in his hands as he's stretched. Through his feet, he's being stretched. Say, Jesus, Jesus, you're being stretched. Something I've learned about tension is it takes tension to have good music. Because if I don't put tension on those strings, it's going to play at the wrong note. So to get that string to the note, in order that it can match the other notes and play a beautiful song, I've got to put more tension on that string. So Jesus is being pulled tight and under the tension Not so that he could play the right note because he is the right note, but so we could hear the right note and know how we ought to respond and how we ought to tune ourselves. So if God had to take his son and stretch him out, guess what he's going to have to do with you? He's going to have to get you because you ain't the right note yet. And he's going to have to get you and put you in circumstances. And he's going to have to begin to stretch you and pull you. So that you can get to the right note for the right season for the pinnacle of your life. That we are caught up in the stretching of Christ. If we are in Christ, we're going to feel everything Christ felt. We're going to feel the thud of the cross going into the slot. Thud. We're going to feel our hands. We're going to say, God, I can't go any further. What are you doing? My arm can't even stretch that far. And then we're going to see a nail go through it. See, if we don't identify with Christ on the cross, I don't know that we're even saved. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross. It's like Jesus is saying, you're caught into the middle of this thing with me. And I need you to understand that. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't sell you a bill of goods before he called you? He could have painted that beautiful picture. Wasn't it funny? Every good story has a happy ending. 
No, what makes that ending happy is that it started with tragedy. It started with an impossible situation that couldn't be worked out any other way. But then somehow the story works out and the ending is happy. That Jesus is saying, you're in on this thing with me. And he does it through all out throughout the Bible. Romans 6, you're buried with him through baptism into death. And that you might be raised in a newness of life. It's like there's this cycle of a seed before it produces life must go into the ground and... John 12, y'all need to read John's Bible a little bit. Come on now. Seed, if it doesn't go into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. It's like God has got us in his rhythm that is his life. And the quicker that we understand his rhythm, we'll begin to understand our rhythm. And we'll begin to play a beautiful music into the city. And it will enchant the lost to come in and to be saved. But if you're not at the right note, and this person is in the right note, guess what's going to happen? It's still going to sound bad. So if I let myself be stretched, and I'm sounding a great note, but you're not willing to be stretched with me, If we're not willing to identify with Christ on the cross, we won't identify with that which is wrong. Because you know what I see as a pastor? I see people sitting by themselves. People that I've invited. Are we on the right note? Then people passed over and not get their hands shook. Can we just get real in here today? If we want to go to the next level, what? You think my preaching's going to build this church? Yeah, if we want to create a show, that's great. But I'm not trying to create a show and some entertainment. I want to see some people playing the note of God into the earth. And I want to tell you something. I haven't arrived either. I'm in the stretch process with you. But are we willing to be stretched? To play beautiful music. God calls us into this thing with Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And sometimes it's so obvious we just miss it, don't we? We serve a God who, at 30 years old, in the prime of his life, dies. And I always wondered that. Jesus, why, didn't, why wasn't it 60 or 80? Or why did... And I feel like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, because I want to walk out the rest of my life through my people. Jesus dies in his prime so that you can walk out his prime in your life no matter what point that you're in right now. See, sometimes in the stretching process, it doesn't make sense. But sometimes you're stretched to hold more of God. 
Sometimes we are satisfied with the level of God that we are at at that moment. And so God has to stretch us to make more room for himself. See, if God could give you something better than himself, he would. But God is the best gift he could give is himself. So unless he puts you in situations where you've got to come to the realization that you need more of God, he can't give you the best gift he can give you, which is himself. A burnout minister went to Mother Teresa. Said, man, what do you do when you've got nothing more to give? She said, dig deeper wells. That way when the rains come, you can hold more of God in you. See, sometimes we just need to be faithful. And even though the water ain't there, we need to keep digging those wells. We got to stay in the word and we got to stay prayed up. And we can't let our circumstances or our situations get us, get us off track. We've got to go deeper with the Lord and deeper with the Lord. And God can get you past your feelings to where your mind's so made up that you're going to go with God, whether it's good or whether it's bad. That like Abraham, you're going to look out over the promised land and say, Lot, choose whichever one you got you want because I got God. And wherever God is, everywhere my foot treads, it's going to be blessed. And resurrection power will be in my life. It's like the woman at the well said, Jesus, you don't even have a picture to draw. And that well's deep. I'll tell you something, the human situation is complicated. And that well is deep, let me tell you. But you know what? Jesus doesn't need a bucket to draw water out of you. The God of heaven calls down rain and fills it from the top down, not the bottom up. See, some of us have been looking internally for some kind of strength, and God says, no, that's not the kind of strength I provide. The kind of strength that I provide is supernatural and comes from the top down. See, we've got to get to the place that we're willing to let God fill us, but not in the way we want Him to fill us, in the way that He wants to fill us. We're all being stretched. We're all being stretched. Jesus sends the rain and fills us. If we dig in the dry season, guess what happens when the rains come? We can hold more can hold more but it's in these dry places with a shovel in our hands where we look really foolish you're still trusting God yeah I'm still trusting God well it looks like a desert place to me I would have quit them a long time ago no God ain't said to go And instead of watching me and telling me what I ought to be doing, there's a shovel over there. And if you've got enough faith, grab a shovel and help me dig this thing and let the Holy Ghost show up and turn this place and this town upside down for God. Whew. 
See, sometimes life is a confusing, dark place. But something that I found out about Jesus is he's never, no matter how dark the place, he's never confused. He's kind of at peace. How dark must it have been for Christ to be crucified on a cross? That God lets men, sinful men, crucify him who had never sinned? The Bible says the moment was so dark that the sky actually got dark. So it's not only dark in the deed, the most wicked act of human history, the murder of God, there's felt darkness. And everybody at the cross is confused. The disciples aren't even there. Boy, is that prophetic of the church. (laughs) You got one guy, John, who's just taking care of mama there, mama Jesus. The other disciples fled. The Pharisees are using it as a test to see what he's going to do. What's going to come out? Hmm. Matter of fact, the best response at the cross, you know who had the best response at the cross? A Roman soldier. Hits his knee and says, surely this was the Son of God. How does the Roman soldier get it? His job is crucifying people. He understood there's something about the note that's being played on that stretched string that I've never heard before when it comes to the crucifixion. There's something coming out that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had seen people grovel and complain and and beg for their life and beg for it to be over quicker. But here is God in the flesh stretched out with nothing coming out but love but then he makes this one statement which would make us say aha I knew it and it's misinterpreted by nearly everyone Matthew chapter 27 verse 45 through 46 Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, I don't need the interpretation there. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we're quick to jump and say Jesus was confused. And it's led to all kinds of comments on this passage of why he said what he said. And I don't want to get into that conjecture, but here it looks like Jesus is confused in a dark place, feeling forsaken, 
But I want to submit to you, Jesus was saying something else. Jesus was saying, no matter what you think you're doing to me, the plan of God is still going forward and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That even my murder accomplishes my purposes in the earth to the T. Seems like a hopeless moment. And have you been there? Say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. I did everything I was supposed to. A friend of mine called to the ministry at 18. Saved himself for marriage. Blah, 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 blah. Had a crisis. And right now he's an atheist. No talking to him. There's no, there's no talking. Statement was, I didn't live it up like everybody else. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen? He's this dark place, confusing place. And nobody interprets what Jesus said right. The religious that are watching back up and say, wait, wait, wait. Let's see if Elijah comes. They didn't even realize he was saying something that they should have known from nearly a thousand years before that moment. That sometimes we get so caught up in the moment, we miss the fact that God has planned some things and working some things out, and you have breath, so you still have hope, that means you still have a song, and your poem and your hymn is still going out into the earth. So what Satan would try to do is jump in at the darkest moments of our life and get us to think that our song is going to end in tragedy. That our song is not going to go into the earth. You ever thought that? Man, did I miss God? Did I just blow it? Is there any hope? I take a wrong turn somewhere along the journey? Why does the Lord seem so distant? And from the surface, it looks like Jesus is saying this. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Why are you not here? But Christ isn't expressing loss. He's not expressing that the Father has turned his back on him. Jesus is quoting a scripture from the psalm that David wrote a thousand years previous. That while it's its bleakest moment, Jesus is actually saying, 
This was planned a long time ago. I need you to not judge based on the circumstances now. I need you to let God whisper to your heart that he's not done. And I need you to hang in there a little bit longer with me because something on the other side is going to be great. And if you hit the eject button now, you're going to miss out on the plans and the promises that I have for you on the other side. Jesus is saying the plan of God is still going forward. It seems the exact opposite, doesn't it? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I would say, yeah, does look like he's forsaking you. And Jesus, using words that would sound that way, is saying the exact opposite. See, we can't hit the eject button before God is finished. Don't put a period where God's put a comma in your life. Because if we're honest, does the scripture say you were bought with a price? So are you your own? So what right do you have to put a period when you still got breath in your lungs and energy in your bones and purpose in your life, what, what are you? To put a period there. Think if every time we watched a movie, we turned it off when there was conflict. <laughs> well, Dorothy's in the tornado. Kick it off. Sorry, Kennedy. Turn it off. Yeah, black and white film anyway. We know better. We know that every good story, every good poem, every good song has an introduction where we learn about the protagonist and the antagonist, the hero and the villain. There is conflict, and that conflict rises to the place to where it looks impossible, called a climax, and then we hit the place of resolution. And then things begin to change. And the reason the human soul knows the story so well is because it is our story. We didn't invent those stories. Those are put here. We know how it ought to go. And God knows how it ought to go. <laughs> and God's doing it. He's doing it in your life. If you're in Christ, if you're serving God, He's doing it in your life. And that's why you watch the shows you watch. You realize, remember The Fugitive? I'm not advocating movies up here, okay? So if there was some word in there somewhere along the time, I don't, I just, I'm just going back in my mind, okay? I'm not advocating to go watch The Fugitive, okay? But when you start the movie, did you think Harrison Ford was really going to get caught? Then why did you watch it if you already knew the ending? Because you wanted to see, how is this man going to get out of all this trouble? So every time we open the Bible, 
we know Jesus is going to win. Well, so my wife knows that Jesus is going to win. So every time you open the Bible, why are you reading the Bible? Because you want to see how in the world is Jesus going to get out of all this trouble? And secondly, how is he going to get me out of all my trouble? That's why we come to church. Come for the grand story. The Bible. Say, Jesus, how are you going to get me out of my mess? Why you're here. Part of you knows there's some hope and you're trying to find it. Psalm 22. Something that David wrote. Apparently there was music to it called the Doe of the Dawn. We don't know when David wrote this, but we can assume it was in a really rough time in his life. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? A thousand years before the crucifixion? <laughs> is Jesus saying, it's coming? <laughs> and what happens is, is we read that and we finish, we don't finish the psalm. We don't finish the psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. In other words, this is not the way I thought things were going to go, David is thinking. I'm still praying and I'm doing my part, God, but, but where are you? God, don't you see the pain and the anguish I'm in? Why are you not answering me? Verse 3, but yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. And you made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Far, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening lion and a roaring lion. He was essentially saying, I can even feel hell laughing at me. I can even feel Satan and his demons laugh at the situation and the low point that I'm at. David is saying, you made your, I made my boast in you, God. But yet now everybody's looking who have seen me make my boast in you and it looks like I'm an utter failure. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sherd. 
and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Saying, it can't get any worse than this right here. The King David who slayed Goliath who's the king of Israel, is now in a dark season, a low point in his life. Verse 16, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Look familiar? I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is written almost a thousand years before Christ. See, David didn't understand what he was writing about. He just thought he was at the lowest point of his life. He didn't realize that by the Spirit... He was writing about the greatest event in human history that would set all of humanity free that would put their faith and trust in Him. So while your story might be looking pretty grim and you're tired and you're ready to throw in the towel, you don't know what God's up to. Don't misinterpret what God is up to. He's saying, in other words, God, I give an inheritance of you, yet all of a sudden I hear the rumors of everybody and they're dividing up what was once mine. They're casting lots for mine. That's mine. So David is talking about tragedy and Christ is saying, I take tragedy and make it good. I take human suffering and work it to some kind of good. But David doesn't have the glimpse yet. And this is where we'll stop many times. They divide their garments among them and they're casting lots and we hit the eject button. All right, God, enough of this. Bloop. And we go from thing to thing, place to place, that we misinterpret the stretching as God's displeasure that Satan was winning somehow. And instead of letting the work of our character begin to take place, we move to the next thing, and it's new and fresh for a while. But you know what I've found about new things? Time and gravity act on them and they begin to decay. Look no further than your midsection. Hey, I'm talking about me. Judge yourself. I'm judging myself here. So we hit the ejector seat. And then when that new wears off, say, here comes the stretching. Mm-mm. Nope. Something's wrong going over here. Then we get there. 
Stretching. Mm -mm -mm. Going over there. Find ourselves unfinished products. And our song never goes to the right note or the right place it's supposed to be because we never allowed the tension to get us to make the right sound that God needed to make in the earth. And I want to tell you something. The story ain't over. <laughs> and I don't care how bad your track record is in your past. I don't care what you've done. If the blood of Christ isn't enough, then we all just need to get in our cars right now and go to the buffet and just call it good and we'll never meet again. If we, every single one of us, if there was a movie of our life and all of our thoughts and they showed it on the screen here, you would crawl out of here. You wouldn't even be able to, you wouldn't even be able to make eye contact. You would crawl out of here with your tail between your legs undone and you might never come out again see that there's the blood of Christ that David wrote about a long time ago and it looked like a dark moment but that blood had to be shed so that you and I could have that history erased so that our notes could go into the world and make a beautiful song that we are saved by grace through faith. None of ourselves, lest anyone should boast, but we are created unto good works because we are God's workmanship, His poema. And those good works were established beforehand because those good works are Jesus. So when we get in Christ, we're walking out Jesus' life on the earth if we're willing to be stretched. So will you have the audacity to call out to God again? Will you have the audacity to believe God for something big? It seems that that's the bigger issue than the thing that we feel like is our hurdle. It's will we allow ourselves to be people of faith again? and begin to see the limitless possibilities of what God can do in our life. That's a scary place because we've been disappointed. We've been hurt. But within that hurt and disappointment, God is stringing something together. He's creating a stretching that is so uncomfortable but yet beautiful. Verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far off, Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now look what happens. Verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. David has the audacity at the darkest moment to still call out to the Lord for help. And then says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all offspring of Israel. See, the darkest night begins to turn into a praise session and David begins to shout and say, Oh God, don't be far off. I'm going to still shout your name in the congregation. I'm going to still call out to you, God. I'm still going to go after you with all my heart because God, I know that you're going to come through when the time is right. David saw something bigger. He says he saw the great assembly. He's writing about his own troubles. Come to find out he's actually writing about the salvation of humanity. And as he's writing, something hits his soul. And he says, oh, God, don't be far off. Oh, God, I see a great assembly of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And they're praising you with all that they've got. I'm saying something, that you're doing something in this dark night. That though this night is dark, I'm seeing that you're assembly a group of people that are praising your name despite what is happening I believe God just whispered to his heart right there David saying look what's happening to me God and God says I'm up to something I'm up to something you can't see Matter of fact, David, it's a thousand years down the road. But every generation and more than the previous generation are going to call upon the name of the Lord. And every continent is going to call upon the name of Jesus. And I know it looks dark right now, David, but I need you to finish this psalm out. Because if you stop right here, if you stop the psalm right here, the good news isn't going to go out. So I need you to listen in this dark night of this whisper to your soul right now. And I need you to finish your psalm. Because if David doesn't finish this song, Jesus doesn't say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Now he's just blessing everybody. Do you see what's happening here? He went from sadness to praise to seeing the promises of God. And now he's saying the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. What right does he have to say that? This is a bad moment. He's got the right because he knows the nature of God. And he knows that God is good. And that no matter what happens, God is good. And he's worked that out in his soul. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation shall worship before you. The kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him and shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. That even the dead are going to find a way to worship what God is doing through this dark night of suffering. The Bible says that every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. That David, in his darkest night, sees the biggest praise break in human history. And 
I just hope that you get a whisper from God to your heart. It doesn't have to be loud. It can be small. I hope you hear God saying, I'm up to something. I'm up to something. Verse 30, prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That something about this is going to be so powerful that every generation will have a witness. There will never be a moment of silence about King Jesus. There will always be someone to continue it to another generation. Verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. <laughs> that he has done it. <laughs> that David was talking about what he done, and now he ends with what he done. And that your story might be, look what they done. But if you'll let God, he'll end it to look what he is doing and look what he's going to do with my song in the earth. In the midst of hardship and despair, the whisper of God came to David's heart telling him that his experience was bigger than what he could know or see or even understand. But how was he to know it? He probably finished that psalm out and said, well, that was weird. Here I go on a gripe fest, and I end in a praise session talking about God's the king of everything. Huh, put it in the books. We'll save it for later. Maybe it'll make sense. Put it on the shelf. Maybe that prophecy makes sense in my life later on down the road. Put it on the shelf. Let it settle. Matter of fact, David dies without even seeing it. sometimes our life is doing something beyond our own existence. And that it seems really minuscule, but we don't know the generations on down the road that's going to be affected. We're changing our lineage. We're changing the trajectory of our family. But there could come a day where they go, Man, you remember great, great Papa Cole. He got a hold of the Lord, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and now we got preachers in our family. Say, remember old Becky, old Grandma Becky, boy, she had a rough start. The Lord got a hold of her. Lord got a hold of her. And don't even let me get going about old Missy over here. We can't even speak about them things in church. But let God get a hold of you. Let him get a hold of you in your darkest night and see what he won't do. See what he won't do.
see what he won't do. But you've got to have the audacity to call out on God again. Despite everything going against you, you've got to have the audacity to say, okay, God, I'll believe again. It's really that simple because it's all done by him anyway. You're just kind of alone for the ride. But the first step is just a willingness. Say, God, God, I'm willing to believe again. I'm willing to praise you again. I'm willing to trust you again. I'm willing to believe the best is really yet to come. The story's not over. It doesn't end at the cross. It ends with an empty grave. An empty tomb. And the weird statement, why are you seeking the living among the dead. <laughs> and I bet you our angels are saying that to us. What did you think was going to happen? I'm God. <laughs> Why are you seeking the living in a place where dead things are? Because we serve the God who raises from the dead. He raises from the dead. He takes the most hopeless moment of human history, God being murdered at the hands of sinful men, at governmental structures and religious structures, and the principalities of powers all coming together to a head to get God off the earth. And all it served to do was make it to where we could never get rid of him ever. He raises from the dead to never die again. God's ahead of this thing. He's ahead of this thing. He's ahead of this thing. Would you stand to your feet?